The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanerho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. Folks, before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Trek. And right now is a great time to be listening to The Secrets of Star Trek because there is some great Star Trek out there. Star Trek Picard uh, Season 3 uh, is is wrapping up even as the show releases. Star Trek Strange New Worlds is just around the corner, and they both look awesome. And they just announced Star Trek Section 31 with Michelle Yeoh. So there's some great Star Trek coming. And, of course, we're still talking about classic Trek. So check that out wherever you can find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek. So I want to get right into today's topic, which is kind of personal to me because this is something that occurred to me recently with my family. Now, if you're a techie like me, you're probably the one person in your family who takes care of everyone's tech issues. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, whether it's mm-hmm. your, whether it's like you have a you know a spouse and children, or you have siblings and your parents, or whatever it is. If you're listening to a tech podcast, chances are you're that person, that guy or gal. Uh, and I would assume this is this is true for you guys, right? Yes, for the <laughs> whole is. family. Yep. family. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So one of the things that that occurred to me recently is because I've got five kids, I got my wife, and all the kids have Kindles, and some of them have laptops or desktop computers or or the phones or iPads, and you know, keep it up with you know, hey, there's an update out, don't forget to do the update. Oh, you know, why is my thing not working? Oh, why is? And it just became such a hassle. I said, you know what, I need to systemize this. Being the good techie that I am, I said we need a system and a process. So. I decided that every so often, it could be monthly, it could be quarterly, I schedule a day, like a Saturday, where I will have each family member come to me and sit down with me with all of their electronics to check the hardware and software and see if there are any issues that need to be dealt with, any questions that they've had crop up, anything like that. Sort of like the Godfather You've come to me on the day of my son's <laughs> wedding. You know, that sort of thing. So bring all your gonna stuff. I'm going to make you an offer you can refuse. <laughs> yeah, I'm so gonna, that's the other one you get a lot. Yeah, I'm going to make yeah, you an upgrade. <laughs> going to make you an upgrade you can refuse. <laughs> so I made a list of all the different things that I felt like we needed to go through. And you could, you know, follow along with what I do or adapt this to your situation. Everyone's situation is going to be different. But for my family, this was the situation. And so in my house, we have iPhones. We're, all, we're an Apple household. So we have iPhones, iPads, Kindles, um, and some laptops and desktop computers. So a few of those. I have, of course, I take care of my own stuff, so this isn't part of it. But my wife's got a laptop, you know, a MacBook. My daughter has a, a Mac Mini, you know, and that sort of thing. And then the, that's my oldest daughter. And the other kids mostly have iPads or um old iPhones without cell service that they use for audible audiobooks and things like that. 
So one of the first things I do is I double check the emergency contact info. Now on iOS, in the there's on the iPhone, there's a health app. And in the health app, there is a section uh, where you can look at your profile and that's uh, it's got your face on it. And then this like health ID, health details, medical ID, health checklist, this various things like that. Now, under health details, that's where you look. You have your basic. What's your blood type? How old are you? You know, that sort of thing under health de- under I'm sorry, medical ID. That's where you would have the emergency medical information that a an EMT or a doctor could access even if your phone is locked. And that's where you'd have medications and medical conditions. Uh, Under medical notes, I actually put, I'm a Catholic, please contact a Catholic priest. Um, That's something you might think about doing for yourself. And as well as the emergency contacts. So I have, uh, for myself, I have my wife, I have my brothers. Uh, For the kids, it's me and my wife and their grandmother. Um, I I put my my mother-in-law in there because she's, um, further away, and God forbid something would happen to both me and my wife, she's likely to be the one who would deal with these things. Um, so, in any, you know, whoever you choose, you can choose several people. So, you want to check the blood type, any ongoing health conditions, uh, allergies, those are big ones. Make sure that they're in there. So, I would assume this, there's something similar on Android where you can have a medical ID. So on Android, it's basically the same thing. It's if you go to settings and then go to safety and emergency, that's where you put all that same information in. It's got the emergency contacts and the medical information and all that in one place. Cool. All right. And it's very similar. And there's there's also a personal safety app that um, I learned about recently, and you can add that. My dad has it on his uh, on one of his devices because it's uh, in the case of an emergency it will automatically text someone. So if it detects a collision or yep. uh, something like that, it'll contact one of the emergency contacts and it'll just send a text message ping uh, to make sure that they know something's going on. That's a good point. The um, Apple watch has the same thing with the crash detection or, and um, or fall detection that uh, it will contact the emergency contact. Uh, if if it detects something and you don't respond, like if you fall mm-hmm. and you don't respond right away, it will call them and emergency services. So yeah, make sure that stuff is up to date for everyone. Every, every, like next time you go to it's Easter, Christmas, whatever, a, a barbecue, annoy all your family by going around saying, let me see your phone, <laughs> make sure it's up to date because this, this is critical. This is the sort of thing that can save a life. So definitely do this. I was listening to the Mac Geek Gab podcast and uh, one of the hosts of Pilot Pete was saying his mother-in-law lives down the street and he got a ping, went to her house. She'd fallen in the garage um, and couldn't get up. And she was laying on concrete. If he hadn't got the ping from her Apple watch, she would might have been there all weekend and possibly could have died of hypothermia. So, you know, it, it saved it possibly saved her life. So that's very important stuff. Um, so then another thing to do is, is if there's a, any type of tracking tech. So if you have find my like find my iPhone, uh, make sure that's working, make sure it's Everything is entered correctly. If you're using other types of trackers, like tile trackers. So I put a tile trackers on like my kids' Kindles uh, or on their headphones, because I can't tell you how often they come to me saying, Dad, I don't know where my headphones are. 
They're in your bed. No, they're not. Let me use the tile and it will track it to your bed. And it did. So <laughs> that's usually where it is. Uh, but to make sure that those are working and that the batteries are up to date. That's the big thing. Make sure you've you've checked the batteries. And that's something that I have to do on a regular basis is open those apps up and and look and see how are the how's the batteries on all the various things I'm tracking. Um, so that's that's the other thing. Um, does does Android have a tracker like Find My? Does it have it something like that? They have something similar. It's not as robust, um, mm-hmm. but they've been updating it over the years. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I can actually look on here real quick. Um, Find Device, um, and it's similar where you'll track like your Bluetooth earbuds, and I think you can add like a tile and different things like that into there. Um, and it's pretty much the same thing just for Android. Okay, good, good. That's excellent. So um, one thing I've done, uh, this is pretty Mac specific, but then there's probably a way to do this on other devices is I've added uh, an automation using shortcuts, which is the built in automation software on iPads, uh, Macs and iPhones. It's a low power notification. So what I've done is I've set set it to say when power, the battery life on on this device drops below I usually set it to 15, although I've, I'm thinking of moving it to 10 because you'd be surprised, not surprised maybe, how often kids let their phones go to below 15%. Um, but anyway, when it gets really low, it will text me, Lucy's phone is nearly dead. Ben's phone is nearly dead. Because how often they come to me, Dad, my phone's missing and the battery's dead. Why did you let the battery get dead? And, and, and we've and we've gone for like for a week without the device until we stumble on it, you know. So uh, this way it will te- it will text me the phone's almost dead, so that I can say to them, "Plug in your phone," <laughs> and right. then they won't they won't lose it when its battery is dead. Ten percent is probably a better idea than fifteen too, because fifteen they normally get a warning on the device that yeah. says, "Hey, your battery's low." So you know, tens like. Closer to actually dead. <laughs> After they've ignored yeah. the first warning. Yes, <laughs> right. the second warning. Right. Um, something that can help with that um, is getting, they make those wireless charging pads that you can put like three or four devices on, getting one of those and just putting it in like a common area where people can park their phones. And I found that that has helped to uh, keep keep certain people who shall remain unnamed in my household to actually keep their phone charged. Is that is that your toddler? Did she did she leave her phone uncharged? Definitely. <laughs> I I will say there also uh, if you get one of those chargers and it has um, the tiny little cables that that mm-hmm. you connect to it, um, buy a bulk of those because you will feel wealthy when you can just replace them since they have a tendency to escape with the device and go to some other room. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, my pick of the week is related to this. So we'll, you know, there'll be something related to this mine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So the, so some type of automation that alerts you as the tech person in your house, the tech dad or the tech mom, uh, to the low power stuff so that you can avert disaster, shall we say. Um, another great thing to do is verify that backups are happening. So iPhones, iPads, they all have an automatic backup to iCloud system that's available. And you just got to make sure it's on, that it's happened last night. They usually happen every night, at, you know, sometime in the middle of the night. Uh, make sure it's happening, that it's updating. You, It's hard to... 
to verify that the backup is a good backup from iPhones. Like it, there isn't a, a built-in system to say this is a, you know, to check it and make sure it's good. But I don't think I've ever heard someone say, oh, you know, I've had a corrupted iCloud backup. Um, for computers, for laptops or desktops, you can, presuming you're running backups software, <laughs> so let's, let's presume that in good faith, that you have it backing up. Um, you can run, run uh, backup uh, checksums or backup uh, verification. I like the. I use Carbon Copy Cloner as my backup software of choice, and you can every once in a while tell it to you know check the backup is is it good integrity and that sort of thing. So definitely check the backups, make sure they're mm-hmm. happening, and make sure they're good. And if if storage is an issue here, this is one that I've uh, taught my kids to do. Uh, we have a drive that's running on a RAID system on our network locally. And so I have them just continuously back up their documents folder to the documents folder on that. And that's what I'll check with them is that they've got that running as a backup because they don't necessarily need the whole laptop. I can recover the laptop. Yeah. But that documents folder is like their art or their writing that they've been doing and they want to make sure that persists over a failure somehow. That's a great point. Right. And if you don't want to go to the trouble of setting up like your whole in-home backup solution and obviously again presuming that you're going to have a cloud offsite cloud backup uh dropbox is a really good solution for that they've mm-hmm. recently updated a lot of their tools so that they have like a whole section just for backing up computers um, and i found mm-hmm. that to be pretty useful yes yeah i actually have been using my networks storage my nas to back up my computers and then those then back up into Amazon's Glacier cloud. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, three, two, one backup. Uh, but um, I should do that with the kids stuff now. Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for reminding me that that's my next uh, 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 chore is to start back because you can also back up a Dropbox to the NAS. So that's a whole nother right. topic. I don't want to mm-hmm. uh, get, <laughs> get into that right now, but it, it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit involved. It's like intermediate level. So um, yeah, that's worthwhile, worth looking at too. Uh, obviously you want to make sure their operating system is up to date, you know, so on the iPhone or iPad, you go into system settings, general software update, make the, they make sure they have the latest updates, uh, open up the app store, go to the update section, uh, pull down from the top. I don't know why, but when you open that up, it'll show like six apps need updating and then you'll refresh and it'll say 47. Like, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Apple. Did you for, like forget until now, or you hiding it from me? Or but anyway, I don't know what the mechanism that it, it, you have to do that, but you do. Then update. There's them two all. levels of updates. There's two levels of updates. So this is this is something I learned recently. It's actually uh, something I learned from Steam too. Um, uh, what ends up happening is they have updates that need to run because there's some functional issue, and then they have timed updates that are like, eh, this will be good to happen, but it's not going to be important until you know three months from now. Oh. So, you can update it at any time. But and so when you do that refresh, it hits all of them. It goes in and queries them all and says, do you have a new version? Uh, and then it'll pull those new versions, even if they're not necessary at the moment. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. I didn't know that. That's that's excellent. So, I mean, there's no reason not to do that then and just update everything mm-hmm. while you're at it. Good. So the next thing I do is, is I discuss security practices, best practices, are you using your password manager? Do you remember your passcode for your password manager? Do you have a good passcode on your phone, iPad, computer? 
do, you know, remember you never give it out. And then things like we've talked about before, if someone, if you get a text message or if you, if someone calls you and they ask you to give them the number that they're about, you're about to receive on your device, what do you do? You say no, you say no, no matter what, like I <laughs> emphasize to them, you know, uh, these, these best practices, um, and the one thing I do is I also make sure that we're using a good passcode f on their phones. And the older they are, the better the password can be. Like my 10-year-old, mm -hmm. her phone just has like Audible and photos and Kindle app, you know, that sort of thing on it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not a real phone. It's not being used as a phone phone. So, you know, she's got a simple code that she can remember. But the 17-year-old, I make her create a good passcode alphanumeric so that no one can just try 10,000, you know, uh, things and, and, and get, break it in and you'll break into it. So we, we talked about that. Um, and one of the things that I, uh, that I'm going to add to this discussion is something my brother brought up, which is that he has a family code word that, he and his wife and all his kids have, and you've you've have if you've had these heard these stories about grandparents getting a phone call from their grandchild saying I've been arrest, arrested and you need to send money or I'm I'm in trouble and you and it's a scam and it's not really their grandchild and it's and and this whole thing and so the the what they've done is they've come up with this way of saying you know whether it's a phone call or a text or an email. If you, if there's any doubt, ask for the code word. And it's a random, it's like a word that means something to everybody, but no one else would be able to guess it because you're not giving context. So like um, if it was something related to an event in, in life, like uh, the, the, I'm trying to think of one, um, when you were 12 and, you know, and your whole family went to a particular museum and there was a dinosaur named, you know, Susan, the T-Rex. What's the one in, uh, I'm thinking of the field museum in Chicago. I was just reading an article about it. <laughs> anyway, just like say the Susie T-Rex. Okay. And so the code word is Susie T-Rex. Now that means something to everyone in the family, but it doesn't mean anything to anyone outside the family. And so you don't have to say when we went to the museum, what was it we saw? You would say, what's the code word? So that person has nothing, no context by which to guess. And they get one guess because if they get it wrong, you know, it's not. They them. obviously don't know. Yeah. Right. So uh, that's something I'm going to start implementing with my kids because it's a nice way to make sure, because especially with deep fake voices and all mm -hmm. that other stuff where that's cropping up now. That's that bit of knowledge, knowledge unique that's unique to us. That is the, our our last defense. This is what a uh, Starfleet needs to implement based on the most recent <laughs> uh, season of Picard. <laughs> I know if a changeling ever gets a hold of you, you know you don't you don't have to give out those curb words. <laughs> I would also say um, make sure that uh, everyone has two factor authentication turned on on their accounts because a lot of accounts mm -hmm. you can yes. ignore that, and that's that's something that we need to have on. Definitely, definitely, and when when possible, unfortunately, not every every uh, site lets you do it. But when possible, use a third party two factor authenticator software as opposed to mm -hmm. texting it to you. Please, right. <laughs> I wish these companies would stop texting me these these codes because that's pointless. That's that's a huge security hole. 
especially when everybody has an authenticator app and it's so easy to link to. I don't I right. just really don't get that. And my, you know, my password manager has a built-in authenticator. So why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Um the other thing I do is I review the parental control settings. So I I look at it and see is everything set appropriately for this child and their age. I you know, I have kids from 10 to 17. So I the each they all have different settings and different needs of i you know over time as they get older we loosen things up for them because i think i was saying to you before we started i don't want my kids to go out into the world from a safe in non-internet bubble into the world didn't get exposed to the internet <laughs> with no with no previous exposure so um it's like immersion therapy you just did very you know easing them into the to the the, the bigger internet and so are their settings appropriate for them at this point? Anything need to be changed? I mean, I just with my son uh, today, I, we found out that screen time got turned off on his, on his device. Now, I don't think it was him because I, mean, <laughs> I know, you know, he, he, he's not that devious and I don't think he knows yeah. his uh, screen time passcode. I changed it anyway, but um, so, you know, he, 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 if he did know it, mm-hmm. he doesn't know it now. Um, but you know, it got to, I find screen time to be a little buggy and hard to use sometimes. And I wish Apple would, would make it better, but you you want to look at it, make sure it's appropriate, make sure they're, they're using things. And then I looked at what apps were installed. I looked through their photos. Are they taking, I looked through the hidden photos album. You know, that photo, I, that Apple photos has a hidden photos album. Uh, mm-hmm. I looked through that. Yeah. yeah. Just for safety's sake, you know, just, mm-hmm. it's, it's a prudent thing. Um, and you know, anything they shouldn't be taking, any photos they shouldn't have the usual sort of thing. And then, um, and, and then, you know, that takes maybe 25 minutes, a half hour at most with them, with all of them. Um, and you know, and we've gone through everything and their stuff is all working by the time we're done with it. And we've had a conversation about their technology usage. And that's another, uh, uh, important point. Yeah, I think that's the really important point is that the habit that it then gets them and instills in them the habit of keeping their tech up, making sure that they're watching what they're doing for themselves and that they're being careful with their passwords and that they're knowledgeable about what's important about them. Right. And uh, teaching them how to do this stuff when they're on their own and also mm-hmm. teaching other family members. Because I know for me, when someone brings me a piece of tech and they want help with it, I would much rather just fix it myself and be done with it. But if I actually educate them, on how to do it themselves and how to be smart about it, it's going to pay dividends. It's the darn fish thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> teach, a, teach a man to upgrade his OS. He'll be upgrading his OS for a lifetime. There you go. <laughs> uh, are there any other tools and concerns out there? For I, I talked mainly about iOS stuff, and we talked a little bit about Android and Windows. Any other tools and things specific to those other operating systems? Um, I got a couple for Android. Uh, this isn't going to be something you really have to worry about with iOS, but for Android, make sure that you're keeping uh, up to speed on malware apps in the Android uh, app store because they get through a lot more frequently than in the Apple store. Um, so just make sure you're up to date on that. Make sure you're keeping your uh, security patches up to date on your phone. And they have like lists out there of what apps have been affected. So. You know, if you got any of those, uninstall those. And for Windows specifically, um, make sure that BitLocker is enabled on your Windows machines and that you have the recovery key saved. Because if you 
encrypt your drive and don't save your BitLocker recovery key, then you're out of luck if you need to recover that drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, and there's nothing anybody can do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mac OS also has a recovery key uh, disk encryption file vault, it's called. So if yeah. you have file vault saved, uh, enabled on your Mac, make sure you've saved that recovery key. Hard copy somewhere in a file fireproof cabinet. Yes. You, you do have a fireproof cabinet, right? Right. <laughs> everyone, should, everyone should have a fireproof cabinet with the most important things in it. Um, and that sort of thing goes in there. Your, you know, your, uh, uh, your, your recovery information for your password manager, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. And then uh, one other one that I thought of um, a lot of cars nowadays get software updates for various different things. Sometimes it's just, the mm. entertainment system, but sometimes it's something important like the brakes or the power steering. Uh, so make sure that you're checking your car. And if you have family members with cars like that, make sure that they're checking. A lot of times those will be over there updates, but sometimes it's something you have to take in kind of like if you get a product mm-hmm. recall, but some cars you have to take in, they plug in a USB stick and update your car. So make sure that that's included when you're checking all the devices. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I'm used to the whole, um, the old, you know, software uh, car recall things, you know, getting those in the mail. But, um, you know, it's it's worthwhile checking every once in a while your car is just looking online and seeing if there's something for your car, your particular vehicles, mm-hmm. including, you know, your parents' vehicles, your kids' vehicles, you know, folks, watch out for your parents, folks. <laughs> That's the important <laughs> thing. Yeah. They, they need your help with their, with their tech. Uh, there's, it's just, it's so disheartening to see how often, older folks their tech is not up to date it's not they're not you know and they're not safe and they end up getting scammed or they just get in a bad way trying to use things and they become you know a lot of times for older folks who are housebound their tech is their lifeline to mm-hmm. you know a social life and then they get cut off because and then you know because it's not working right so yeah double check them the one last thing I want to mention here, too, is like if you don't know what uh, if you don't know about the family apps that are on the environments that you're working with, uh, go learn them. Just take a little bit of time. There's a lot of really good information in them. So uh, whether it be Google's, fam- Google's family or Microsoft family apps, um, Microsoft family apps is actually really interesting because it will tie into their Xbox uh account as well. And so you can have mm. some control over how their Xbox account uh, relates to things. Um and Amazon also has one, has a whole parent uh, mm-hmm. control unit. So if they have a Kindle, uh, there, there are some ways to lock down what they're, uh, what they're able to access there. And it's actually pretty useful. There are also uh, third-party family like um, device control apps, like parental control apps. Um, one that I'm, I'm going to start checking out is called, I've heard about it, called Bark. That looks pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, there's um, there was a Disney one, Disney Circle, I think, and some others like that. We maybe we'll do a, a show on those at some point once we get some more information. Um, so they're third party parental control apps that allow you to. They basically set up profiles uh, on your devices like a company would for a company device. So, but it, it uses that same technology, but it restricts what the you know kids can do with their particular devices and they might have better UIs and and a little more granular control than the built-in stuff from Apple or Google or what have you. 
All right, cool. Excellent. So uh, if you folks have any things that you do for Family Tech Day or any ideas or any you know questions or concerns, be sure to let us know. You can email us at technology at sqpn.com or join our Discord community and the Secrets of Technology channel there. You can find that at sqpn.com slash discord. Not technology, Discord. Before we move on to our headlines, I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including John W., SR, Joseph G., Francesca M., and JP. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So let's uh, talk about some headlines. Uh, Here's a nice fun one up front. The uh, FBI has tested facial recognition software on Americans for years. Now, this is according to some documents that have been obtained by the ACLU and shared with Gizmodo, the site that we're talking about here with the story. It basically says they were they've been working on a project that allowed them to develop unconstrained facial recognition. And the idea is most facial recognition software out there now requires a pretty good face on very pretty clear shot in order to recognize the person. And this was, they would be able to take a shot of an entire crowd and identify the people in the crowd, often from hundreds of feet away, hundreds of meters up to a thousand meters away, that sort of thing. So, um, the, the it appears that the project called Janus, which is the uh, two faced uh, Roman god, uh, I love that name. Yes, <laughs> so so accurate for yes, two faced. <laughs> um, it appears the project has has finished, but that doesn't mean that the technology is gone. Uh, it could be another project going on as we speak. So, um, yeah, what do you guys think of this? Is this uh, pretty scary? Uh, what what do we do about facial recognition? Is it a is it a useful tool for law enforcement and keeping us safe or is it an invasion of our privacy? What do you think? I think it's, I think it's very bad and entirely unsurprising. I'm, I feel like I've read <laughs> articles about this already. So I'm kind of getting deja vu. Um, I would be interested to see how successful it actually was with identifying people like from the side at a hundred yards, like, mm-hmm just uh, besides the whole issue of the morality, I'd want to know how effective it actually is. Like I know technology is always getting better all the time, so I'm sure they'll get to the point where they can do that. Um, But there's been an issue, especially I think we talked about this on the show before, but um, especially people with darker uh, skin tones where it has a harder time distinguishing. And so I feel like that would be, that's a, of the mm-hmm. many potential problems with this, that is definitely one of them that comes to mind. Yeah. I, I don't know that this is, I don't know. I think this is a lot of hype. Like I'm looking at this article and I, I think they may have taken the word facial recognition out of context at like looking at this. It seems like what this was designed for was just grabbing a bunch of mug shots out of a group photo. So like it could take a picture of a, of a crowd and immediately cut crop the face portion of a person out for identification so there's no it doesn't seem like there's an identification component to this more that it's just the computer recognizes faces out of 
out of a crowd. other pixelated stuff right okay and that's that's that seems to me more what's going on here um i haven't done too much digging on it but that's kind of uh that's more the sense that i get here is that it's like a it's it's taking surveillance that we're already doing and just making it easier for the surveiller to get useful information out of it than having to you know do, do the whole you know the, like, like like the movie thing where it's like uh zoom in and clarify zoom in and clarify <laughs> on this you know particular like the computer's doing a little bit of that where it's kind of like going oh we think this is a face and then it pulls that face out of the crowd and like you know maybe identifies 20 faces that were possibly in the crowd that you can look through and easily see if your terrorist that you're searching for is on that right in that group yeah one of the things that the article brings up is that there are no federal privacy laws when it comes to this sort of thing there's a patchwork of local ordinances and that sort of thing but you know, do we need a privacy law to protect us from being surveilled this way being surveilled and identified by law enforcement when we're just going about our daily business because you know i get the need to protect us from the criminal element but this idea that we're going to just basically scan every face potentially and and you know match those up with an ID, ID I know that may not be what this is doing but that might be where we're going right that, that's that's a little bit I don't know scary I don't know that I want that out in the wild I, I think that's the biggest concern about this particular technology here is that it's a step in that direction like mm-hmm. that's just one component in the identifying people by their faces just automatically um, across the board. And it's a, it's a hard question because I understand there are situations where something like that could be helpful in catching criminals, but at the same time, I don't want it to just be accepted in society that we just scan everyone's face and they're out in public and that's just what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. I think an easy way to take care of this is from a legal angle too. just say this is not admissible in court. Right. That's a good point. Because, you know, I mean, because then then you don't eliminate the the use of a technology like this, where it's just like, I mean, we've got cameras there for a reason. And and using that camera to identify, you know, post case going back and seeing who might have been a suspect and then using that to identify the suspect. That's not necessarily I, I don't think anybody would have a problem with that, honestly. Right. Uh, but but that if you just say like we can't ever take a picture of a person's face, then you know you can't have a public camera. But just saying this kind of document is not admissible in court, like the facial recognition portion of it, especially, I think that eliminates a lot of it. And and there's lots of good reason. Uh, you know, Jack, like you were saying, the the fact that it can't accurately identify. Uh, certain ethnic groups from each other, you know, because it can't distinguish the pixel colors from different, uh, from different groups. That's, that's a great reason just by default that it's going to get it wrong mm-hmm. with a reasonable uh, percentage, you know, even, even as it gets better, it's still going to have certain problems and certain biases. Uh, that's a great reason to just toss it out and say, this is not legally admissible uh, right. for, for research. And I think you're going to have, a if you do that, it limits the, the usability of this kind of tech. Right. I mean, you can't just haul everyone in and take their fingerprints, you know, and say, you know, you know, everyone needs, we need, need everyone's fingerprints here uh, and just have them on file. So that in case someone commits, a, you know, there's a crime committed, we can compare your fingerprints to the, you know, to the criminals. And as long as you don't commit any crimes, you get nothing to worry about. Right. 
no. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but we can have fingerprint technology. We can have, you know, if, if we have a reason, reasonable, you know, uh, probable cause that you might be a suspect, then we can, you know, get a court order or whatever, and then take those steps and use these different, you know, t- tools, uh, but not a broad net. And that, that's an established legal principle. So you're right that it's possible that the courts could look at this now and say, this is this is unconstitutional because it's a, too broad of a net. So uh, I'd be surprised if they tried to use this te- technology directly in a criminal case, you know, maybe as a way to get started or to track things down. But I would be surprised if you ever saw this in a courtroom as evidence, say. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Uh, Moving on, uh, here's another interesting one. Uh, vinyl overtakes CD sales for the first time since 1987. I love these headlines because it make it's a little <laughs> deceptive. It's not like CDs have been selling like hotcakes for any time recently. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, who's yeah? Do you know anyone who buys CDs? I you know. I was gonna say this. This is this this headline attributable to thanks Spotify. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's it's a funny stat, um, and I think it's funny just just for the fact that vinyl is outselling CDs. But it's totally unsurprising, really, because mm-hmm. the people who want to collect physical music are going to buy vinyl because it's just a lot more fun. You get the the big gatefold artwork. They actually last longer than CDs. Um, it's kind of like mm-hmm. the whole experience. Whereas CDs are have always been kind of disposable, and so one CD was sold this year, and two records were sold this year. Then you're outselling. Right. I mean, they are selling what they say, uh, $1.2 billion in vinyl this, uh, in this past year. So, I mean, it's not nothing. And it's interesting that it, that there's this growth in the amount of vinyl records people want to buy it. Nostalgia. I mean, is this like, you know, uh, people wearing parachute pants from the eighties? I think it's, I think it's nostalgia and I think it's, Partially, it's like a it's a hip fad right now. Um, mm-hmm. I was in Walmart the other day, and they don't have a CD section anymore, but they have a vinyl section, which I mm-hmm. thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I never thought that you'd go back to getting vinyl. And then I've even noticed, uh, and this is more underground still. Uh, a lot of Bandcamp bands will do this, but cassettes are making a comeback too, just for the nostalgia factor. Even though it's objectively not a very good format. No, I was gonna say that's a, like a vinyl. At least you have the argument that you're an audiophile, right? Like this, this is the best quality sound you're gonna get uh, from music. But I don't know with a with a tape, it just doesn't sound like yeah. that. See, I'm, I'm old enough that I'm like uh, when when uh, CDs came out, I'm like I'm gonna get rid of all this these records and cassettes. I'm going CD. That's the future. Uh, so it's funny to to see everyone going back. Uh, I'm waiting for eight tracks to make their comeback. That will be. Yeah. <laughs> I just let me know when they start putting albums out on the Edison uh, cylinder again. Etched wax cylinders. Yes. But I like this yeah. when you scroll down on this, uh, when you scroll down on this page, you actually get the pie chart that shows streaming, which is like Pac-Man eating everything else. You yes. Know? <laughs> and streaming is 84% of all music sales, right? Music revenue out there, which it makes sense because with streaming, you, you, you have everything. You just get it all. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I want to know the 3% that are buying digital downloads. Like, nope, I'm not going to subscribe. They're the holdouts. <laughs> Is that you should not subscribe? It's, 
So digital downloads, I buy them for like more independent bands. Uh, like I just mentioned, uh, Bandcamp. Like, so if you oh, want to yeah. support an artist, like a local artist or a smaller unsigned artist, still, still a good idea to buy the music directly. I see. Oh yeah, that's true. That sort of stuff. I get that. Um, what is sync? It lists sync as one of the categories and it doesn't explain that. I'm not sure what that means. Um, so it's sync, physical, digital downloads and streaming. So I'd have to, I'd have to probably dig into the, uh, R- the RIAA report to figure out what that is. Um, but the, the funny thing is, is uh, Taylor Swift's vinyl has sold more than Harry Styles and the Beatles combined. Uh, so, Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's kind of terrifying, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is a little terrifying. Uh, all right. So speaking of terrifying, it's uh, the next article, this uh, headline we want to talk about. Uh, it sure seems like Amazon is making a new web browser. Now, this is based on a survey that Amazon sent out to a number of customers that asked questions about if Amazon were to develop a new uh, web browser for desktops or laptops, what uh, sort of features would you be interested in that sort of thing? And I'm kind of curious. The the article suggests that the reason they're that Amazon may want a new web browser is because Google, with its Chrome browser, which is the number one browser in the world, is going to be shutting off access to third, you know, block third party cookies, which is the number one way that companies track you across websites and track your behaviors. And so Amazon's browser would presumably not it would allow that sort of thing and and also cross reference with all the information they know about you from your shopping habits at Amazon so mm-hmm. and that would be a huge treasure trove of data that they could then sell to third parties but what would be the what would be the the case for consumers what possible reason would any of us have to use an Amazon browser what do y'all think unless they start including it as the default on like their Kindle Fire tablets, mm. I really don't see a use case for it. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure if this does come to fruition, they'll do something like you can get exclusive coupons and find if you look at items on other websites, it'll show you the prices on Amazon. Or I'm sure they'll have like features for it, but mm. I don't know why you'd ever use a Amazon browser. Yeah. And it's this is they said it's desktop laptop. So even if it's on fire, I mean, it, 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 this would they're trying to presumably get Macs and Windows, probably not Linux. I'm guessing. Um. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you could get a Linux user to use this kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, that's what I was thinking. We're, we're all like writing our own Chromiums, you know. <laughs> I I just I don't see. Yeah, I mean, they would have to really sell it as some sort of consumer benefit to the, to get people to use it because out of the gate, it would be, I mean, I already do feel awkward buying as much as I do from Amazon. I just, I don't like going to them for as much as I do. And I try to go other places when I can, they're just so big. It's sometimes hard to avoid Mm -hmm. them. Um, I just, I don't want my browser to be (laughs) Amazon's browser. Yeah, Amazon is interesting because I feel like their their main like technology based hit that's actually gone well for them in the long run has been their the Kindles um, and the tablets to a smaller extent, but that's mainly just because they're so cheap. Like, yeah, I think we had a mm-hmm. we had a story a couple months ago about how Alexa is a loss leader and it's losing them money. Yes, um, 
Do you remember the Fire Phone that came out in twenty? I had one of those. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was a total bomb, and it was the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's like you have all these exclusive Amazon features, and if you take a picture of something, it will show you where you can buy it on Amazon, and it flopped horribly. Yeah, right. It, It was it was so limited because it was like it was their app environment, so you couldn't really do much of anything, honestly. And they didn't have a robust app environment at the time. They still really don't. And it kind of just, it was the worst of all possible combinations as far as the phone goes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like Amazon is constantly trying to get outside its box. Like it wants to be mm-hmm. more than the online retailer and it's succeeded in some areas like buying whole foods and, doing, um, you know, uh, TV and movie things. And th- that sort of stuff seems to be going well for them. But, you know, especially when it comes to hardware or more general, like, software, like a browser, I just don't see that that's a, a natural fit for them. Well, and a browser is one of those things, like, if you're learning to code, it's one of those things that you can learn as a basic thing. It's like how to code a web browser. So I'm not really sure what you would be adding to the browser ecosystem by doing this kind of thing as Amazon. Right. And there's no real reason for anyone to go there because like I use Safari for a lot of things because I'm on, I'm on a Mac and it comes with it and there are Apple features that are integrated with it. But I also use Brave and I use uh, Firefox for various things. Uh, Firefox is StreamYard works best in Firefox on a <laughs> Mac. Uh, but you know, they have reasons to exist on my system. I have no no reason for Amazon to exist on my system, but, you know, as a browser. They're going to start making it uh, when you buy an item. When you hit buy now, it's going to also download that to your system and set it as the default browser. And they're just going <laughs> to get people who don't know anything about browsers to start using it and not realize it. Yes. Yeah. That's the strategy. Oh my Is that gosh. why Internet Explorer is still around? I mean, like, because <laughs> you know, it was just default installed and nobody knows how to get rid of it. Right, yep. right. And that's Explorer, not Edge. <laughs> it's, it's probably yeah. still there, <laughs> Explorer. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of speculation. Who knows if they'll actually do it? Uh, that's the other thing to say with these things. Those companies put send out surveys for all kinds of things all the time that never actually happen. You know, there's a there's someone whose job it is, is to to survey things and you know, look forward to things. And so it's possible that they they have no real plans, but I just thought it was an interesting idea that Amazon would have a web browser. I'd I'd be interested to see the survey results and see like how many people return. I'd like more privacy in my browsers. (laughs) That's like, okay, well, that's not a, that's not happening for us. Never mind. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So those are our headlines. Let's move on to our picks of the week. And Thomas, why don't you go first with your pick this week? Alrighty, so um, I am a D&D tabletop nerd. Uh, with the D&D movie having coming out, I hope many of you are interested as well. And uh, my pick of this week is a way for you to make your own D&D mini online. And uh, I think I've talked about Hero Forge before, which is another one. So if mm-hmm. you're interested, go check out Hero Forge. It's really cool too. Um, this one is called Titan Craft, and it is a combination of a lot of my uh, nerdy interests. So as a 3D printer, I can go to Titan Craft. I can make a minifig for free 
Uh, so you can get all the way through the process without paying a dime and download the STL file to use and print your own uh, minifigs. And, and you can do many of them. So I'm actually currently uh, about to start DMing and I'm going to go and create a bunch of NPC minifigs that I can use. Uh, now, the other the other side of this is that it's really cool that they can offer some parts of it for free because they have premium sections that you can buy different items for your minifig so like you could buy a pack of pirate items so if you wanted to add you know a pirate coat and a pirate hat and a sword because you're doing a nautical theme uh D character you just purchase that pack so there's a lot of stuff that's available by default it's really cool you can get through making a, a decent looking character without buying anything but then if there's some particular thing you want you buy a pack or just one particular item if you're going to do just a one-off uh uh, one-off minifig that needs that one thing that really completes it um, and i'm actually contemplating purchasing the nautical theme because that's the theme of my campaign is a, it's a kind of got a nautical theme to it so i'm probably going to purchase that so that i can make my npcs a little more uh accurate to where we're going uh but really really great website you just click through you get a like a base model and you can edit the face you can edit the the hair the helmet the armor you can pose the hands uh and the arms you can get a heroic pose or make it stand like it's singing uh really really a lot of fun even if you don't end up buying any of the minis or anything it's a lot of fun to just click through and play with it very nice, nice. i uh, i recently used hero forge to make a jimmy aiken figure Yes. <laughs> which was surprisingly easy to do and uh because mm -hmm. he's a very distinctive looking guy and sent it to him as a, it was a, a little gift i was going to send him so on a future uh mysterious world feedback episode you'll all get to see that but uh nice. yeah, these can be fun it's not inexpensive the hero forge one so if you've got a 3d printer able being able to just print it yourself that's a great idea mm -hmm. uh and you'd end up having to paint it yourself i would you know i presume right. mm -hmm. um that sort of thing so you that the the these the ones that make it for you they'll also paint you know paint it as you as you wish but um cool that's really cool i like that um and you know and it can be free if you have a 3d printer already Ex excellent so jack what's your pick uh my pick it's actually something that uh, you mentioned earlier thomas about making sure that you have cables around the house uh my pick is a uh, Anchor USB-C cables specifically and anchor cables more generally if you have an iPhone or if you just need different kinds of USB cables. Uh, their products are all really high quality. They last a long time. Um, they're rated for like the right charging speeds for newer devices. Like you can get some that are 60 watt or if you have 140 watt charging. Um, they're more pricey than the typical cheap cables you're just going to grab at Walmart. So it's usually $12 for two cables. but you're going to get a good quality cable that's going to last and it's an, act an actual certified cable. And that's important with a lot of devices. A lot of those cables you pick up that's like a tin pack for $5, um, they're not certified and they may or may not work and they could potentially cause damage to your devices because they're not properly vetted and certified. Um, so yeah, Anchor products in general are great. Um, their USB-C cables are high quality. Definitely recommend them. Yeah, that's the thing about USB-C cables specifically is how confusing it can be because there are different kinds of USB-C. Some are rated for power, some are just data, and it's just a mess. Uh, you can, you really can't go wrong with the Anchor brand. I really have always uh, thought highly of them. 
Um, I went to the the link that you put in the in our uh, document, and it says, "Oh, you last purchased this on November 29th. So <laughs> <laughs> these, these are the ones I get to. Yeah, awesome. I, I had one as well. That's the same same thing for me. <laughs> Previous purchase. <laughs> so my pick this week is a charging station and uh, this is a generic one and there are others out there that might work for you but what this is a six uh a six device charging station that comes with these the short cables like we mentioned um they can it comes with the lightning or uh um mini us micro usb i think it's micro usb for kindle or lightning for apple devices and it's it's very simple it's got one power cord that comes into the back and then you plug these uh, little short, you know, six inch cables in to the side and then the slots and you just stack your devices in the slots. And um, I have a, a little table that's in our living room that is the charging table and that all the devices go there. That's where we charge things. Uh, we've had we've had this in different places in the house and this is seems to be a little bit better, although one of my constant chores is to untangle cables i don't know what mm-hmm. it is like it is like mm-hmm. the gordian knot of cables sometimes and it's just like it's, it's sort of therapeutic i'm just unwinding things and unplugging things and straightening them out um but this is a, a pretty a pretty nice solution there are there are lots of different ones out there but uh, having a place where everyone's devices can go at night that's one of our rules is no devices in bed no devices in your, you know, mm-hmm. overnight in your room. Um, so all the devices go here. They charge. They can take their Kindle and read their book in, in bed, but like their phones or, or, or tablets, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, so that's we have, and and then we know where things are supposed to be when they're charging. So when they're looking for their device, I, my my recommendation here is if you're looking at these things, make sure they don't have lights on them in places where they're going to bother you, because we have one in our room that has this incredibly bright led on the front of it and another one on the back of it and it's like i can't escape the LED, so i have to put electrical tape over it just to make sure that yes. uh, that i i'm not gonna be woken up by it <laughs> yeah the blue leds that burn through your retinas in the dark mm, yeah my wife mm-hmm. is very light sensitive so all anything that goes into our room has to have like that that covered i found that there was these labels i'll, I'll make it a pick of the week in the future of this company that sells these tiny little stickers of various sizes and shapes that are designed to go over leds Ooh. and they're and they're they're trans they're opaque enough that's the word i'm looking for that they won't let the light through so and it's all these different shapes and stuff so that was that's nice. pretty handy um yeah so yeah, that's a good good point. The, the 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 bright LEDs. Like, why would you like a charging thing that's supposed to go on your bedstand, like your nightstand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So testing uh, was not done on this object. Yeah, no, not in someone's home, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So that's it from us. We'd uh, love to hear what you thought of any part of our discussion. And you can do that by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology. Uh, the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash TEC208. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, Jack Barazzini, sorry. Thank you for joining <laughs> me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Thomas and her thank you as well. 
It's been great. Where's Pat Scott when it's easy to say your name? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like I've got an easy name. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Bl- 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 Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>